Welcome to Endless 08, a time loop anime podcast. I'm Duffo. I'm BJ. And it is 2008. We are watching and discussing anime from 2008, the year that it is. Absolutely. BJ, you may have heard some fake news about it being 2023. (laughs) Yeah, no, someone told me yesterday. They came up and they just went, oh yeah, isn't it crazy that that thing happened yesterday in the year of our Lord 2023? And I went- Sneaking it into calendars. My my dad's Dilbert calendar has 2023 (laughs) written on it. I don't know where he got this artifact. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't heard of Dilbert in- uh, yet, because I was, I am too young to know what Dilbert is. Yeah, interesting. Don't get into it. That man went off the rails very hard. <laughs> I mean, he will. He will. He will. <laughs> he will approximately fifteen years from now. Yeah. Well, I haven't calculated the jump. <laughs> anyway, uh, two thousand and eight in anime is a year that we will be discussing, A, because that's what year it is. Yep. And B, I do feel that it is just uh, an interesting artifact. Yes. As a place to drop in. Yes. You sent me a a list of all of the anime from 2008, and I'm going to be honest, there's some awful shit in this year. (laughs) Good God. I am not looking forward to the rest of this. I am for a couple of moments. I look at it one and I go, oh, yeah, that'll be really interesting. But then I go, oh, God, but surrounding it is just trash. Yeah. People ask me, uh, like, oh, you're doing this thing. What, like, what are the big hitters on it? And I say, oh, it's, you know, um, Soul Eater. Yep. Toradora. Spice and Wolf. Um, I get that far in and they go, oh, my God, am I that old? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yep. Mm. It'll be it'll be an interesting time. Yeah, then we've, I I also do remember we do have Talavru on this list. Oh yeah, we that might be a multi-parter. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I know we both have a personal connection to the franchise. We'll, uh, we'll go through like every frame of picture and just <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just gonna have to make sure that I don't have anyone around when I'm watching it, and just make sure that I remove it from all of my hard drives before. Once I finish watching it, because yikes, we are we are going to gain a, a deep and powerful insight into the anime community in two thousand and eight, their tastes, their interests, their foibles. I'm going to be honest. I'm excited. Sins. I'm excited for this because in two thousand eight, this year, I'm actually not very online. I'm not really connected to any of that. My my sphere is really just the anime nerds around me in my mm. like at school. So I am excited and dreading finding out. What anime culture was actually like on the internet yeah. is actually like on the internet. Sorry. Yeah. Like of the reasons I wanted to do this with you, BJ, specifically, uh, mm. A, you are a Japanese speaker. Yep. You lived over in Japan for uh, three years teaching F- over there. Four years. Four I taught years. English in a tiny little city, but mm. really it was more like a town in the countryside. And uh, yeah, it was a great time. Yeah, and secondly, most of your anime watching did happen over 10 years ago. <laughs> yes, it did. Um, I, <laughs> I started watching this year in high school, in 2008, around about, and uh, then it stopped basically in uh, 2013, 2014, in my second year of university. I just got too busy. And then didn't really watch anything until you contacted me and said, hey, cool, <laughs> let's watch this. And I went, yeah, okay, sounds interesting. Yes, I've Boy, been what, plugged what? in, never left the fucking zeitgeist. Oh, no. <laughs> I've, I, I'm the one in the, um, I've got a regular anime channel on Discord that I, I, I talk in all the time. And I'm the one who updates everyone with, um, there's a Facebook page called Anime Corner. 
Okay. Which is one of the big Facebook pages for discussing anime on it. Okay. And they have like uh, like hundreds of thousands of fans on there and they run a big poll of what's everyone's favorite show this week. Oh, I just had a whole body cringe. Oh, no. And I'm the one like posting in the channel going, all right, anime corner numbers are in. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Look, it's a fucking uh, spy family down to number eight. God, they're (laughs) fucking flailing this season. What's going on? They're losing people. (laughs) You okay? Yeah, I'm fine. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) We We are not here to talk about spy family. We are, we are here to talk. Spy Family doesn't exist. No, no. Uh, we are watching a show about spies from 2008. Yeah. The, are, are they spies? Sorry, the show is Gunslinger Girl Il Teatrino. Yeah. Um, I don't think they're spies. I think they're government agents, like employees yeah, but, of the government. But they're secret government agents. Well, I mean, <laughs> you say that, but they just fucking walk around on the streets and whip out guns and there's no like you know oh we've got to keep this secret we've got to make sure that we go behind the things or cover everything up Mm. it's just people walking down the street with like a little girl with a little um music like instrument case and then just whips it open and starts shooting someone there's no like oh we've got to set up this sneaky thing over here it's just fuck gun now quick shoot Oh, I did not like this. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't let my load go so early, but god damn, this yeah. was bad. Uh, let me tell you about Gunslinger Girl, Il Teatrino. Yes, please. Uh, Il Teatrino being Italian for the theatre. Oh, okay. That's actually doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it, is. Um, it is a show that is set in mid-90s Italy. and <laughs> It's set in the mid-90s? Yeah, yeah, you get that context clue very early on that um, one of the main characters is sent off to fight in the Balkans War. Yeah, and but- And she's like, oh, no, you're going to get radiation from Chernobyl, the thing mm-hmm. that happened in the mm-hmm. late 80s. I had I had assumed that that was just, like, a reference to- because this world obviously isn't the real world, so I was assuming that they just had a whole history, like a fake history, that we just missed, because obviously this is the second season of the show, and we're not going to go back and watch the first, because that oh, would be no. a smart idea. Um, <laughs> so I was just assuming- it didn't assuming, come out in 2008, I don't- <laughs> So I was just assuming there was a bunch of, like, world-building history that we'd missed, and I just was like, yeah, okay, cool, whatever. Did somebody ever end up with a phone? I don't think so, like a mobile phone. I don't think so. On that. <laughs> yes. Wow. So, yes, uh, this is a show. It's set in mid-90s Italy, and it follows a series of young girls who have uh, been picked up by the government because they are uh, terminally ill or they have been horribly mutilated in some accident. They have been rebuilt as cyborgs, and they have been employed by a government agency to uh, hunt down uh, uh, northern separatist terrorists. Yep. I want to just pause here for a moment and point out to everyone that like this was the, we read the Wikipedia article of this and we decided to watch it. And that was the moment when I went, wow, this actually sounds interesting. Like that's a really strange concept. And you know what? You could do a lot with this. Mm. They don't. (laughs) Yeah. This is is the thing we'll get into for 2008 anime. Um, the, The isekai boom Started in 2012. We'll start in 2012. We'll tw- in 2012, uh, there's going to be a show called Sword Art Online, and it is going to uh, kick off a avalanche. You're looking at me. What, was right that now. actually the first one? Or was that just the, the big one? It's not the first show you would technically categorize as an isekai. A lot of people like to say, oh, yeah, like Inuyasha. 
right. has all of the plot points right. of yeah, this okay. guy. But but Sword Art Online was kind of the the major catalyst for it becoming the mainstream genre and two thirds of everything that was produced. Right. Okay. I, I should point <laughs> out. I should point out that um, I was out of anime, but mm. I did end up seeing at least part of Sword Art Online. Like it was big enough that it did enter into my sphere, and I went, "Oh well, I, I somebody told me to watch it, so I guess I'll go and watch it." Yeah, what a mistake. <laughs> anyway, we're not talking and, about that. Yeah, well, uh, like uh, in future years, this will be the main way anime production you know, continues to work. Uh, sort of the online light novel industry uh, churns into uh, manga adaptations, churns into anime adaptations. It's a fascinating industry. And so you get you get a lot of very samey stuff, but, you know, with a unique quirk or yeah, like something you say, around. Same basic skeleton, but then there's a sword in here. Or the same basic skeleton, but there's a gun in this one. Basically that, yeah. Do I need to explain what Isuke is for the audience? <laughs> Ooh. Um, yeah, why not? Let's do it. Uh, so I, I, I can actually explain this one. Um, not very well, but uh, basically an Isekai... Uh, show manga whatever is where a character goes from the real world into some kind of fantasy alternate world and they're usually quite powerful in that world although i think that trope has started to be played with quite a lot Mm. um and they basically just have a big adventure in an alternate world yeah they hadn't invented this shit in 2008 the year that it is yeah (laughs) and so instead they're like mid-90s italy terrorists (laughs) Yep. And Let's go. Again, honestly, that's really interesting, especially from a 2008 context with, with all of our knowledge of what will happen and has happened. It's really engaging, you'd think. Mm. Um, it isn't. Let, let me give you some background information. Um, uh, this was adapted by uh, manga, mm-hmm. um, uh, written by Yu Ida, was the original mangaka. Remember that name? <laughs> I, I, did, I did do a little bit of Googling, and uh, I, think, was it, I think his full name is Yutaka Ida. I believe, uh, but it was interesting that nobody knew whether they were male or female or not. Yutaka is a male masculine name, so people mm. are generally assuming that Yutaka is ma- male, but mm. nobody's actually sure. Yeah, that that is a thing that was happening with pen names a lot at the time. Uh, so yeah, they they started serializing this in two thousand and two. Okay. Uh, in two thousand and three, uh, Madhouse, who are, you know, one of the big anime big hitters, uh, produced uh, an anime based on it. Uh, this was the original season one of Gunslinger Girl. Right. Uh, this was uh, quite a big production. You know, it, it hasn't had a huge footprint on <laughs> the culture. <laughs> but but it was a big production at the time. I found someone saying somewhere, uh, completely unverified information, they were suggesting that it cost them $130,000 per episode. To <laughs> wow. I don't know if I believe that, but I'm reporting it. Honestly, I'm in two minds about that. For one... Just thinking about like money and how these things go, that feels quite cheap. Well, but uh, then, at the other hand, God damn, this is bad, and it feels like <laughs> they overspent. <laughs> well, well, this that was not the budget for what we're looking at here. Oh, okay. This is the season one budget, right? Oh, um, yeah. Okay, never yeah. mind. Uh, yeah. Um, also, for context, um, uh, like your standard ongoing shonen anime, your One Piece, Naruto, they they are made for roughly ninety thousand to one hundred thousand dollars per episode. Really? Yeah. That's that's so low. Mm-hmm. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of outsourcing <laughs> happening. Right, yeah, okay. Especially we've, at this time. We've got some slave labor happening. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Bummer. Yeah, so, yeah, Madhouse has this show. It does okay. Um, uh, it's not actually, the licensing isn't owned by Madhouse. It's owned by a company called Marvelous Entertainment. 
I've heard that name before. Because they go ahead and make a PlayStation 2 video game in 2004. Was this the shit you sent me? Yeah, I sent you the gameplay of this. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to describe the video game? Um, Kind of like a time crisis shooter yeah it's um it's, it's a rail shooter yeah there we go that's the word where you're a 12 year old girl yeah you're a 12 year old girl <laughs> who does a lot of flips and rolls because they're cool um and the only real positive comment i have is i got two actually the music was okay mm-hmm. it wasn't amazing but you know what i thought it was actually honestly a bit better than most of the music in the show that we watched <laughs> um but also uh, her skirt had some nice physics animation to it like actually pretty decent Nothing else. Just that. <laughs> that. That is our review of the the PlayStation 2 video game, Gunslinger Girl, which, which we watched 10 minutes of footage of. Uh, so, 2006, uh, Marvelous Entertainment acquires an anime studio as a subsidiary. Okay. Uh, this studio is Artland. Now, this is a studio that has been in existence since, like, the late 1970s. Okay. Um, they uh, were doing, like, co-production on The Legend of the Galactic Heroes. Oh, so, so big stuff, and yeah. uh, you know, uh, around this time they'd they'd had like a big hit with um uh, Mushishi, and they've got an ongoing shonen series that is uh, Katekyo Hitman Reborn, right? Which yep. is kind of their flagship thing. Yeah, okay. So uh, Marvelous Entertainment buys them. They go, what licenses? What IP have we got that we can give to this new studio? And they look at Gunslinger Girl, <laughs> and like any sane person, think that's actually really interesting. Yeah, we <laughs> could do something with this. Yeah. Uh, for whatever reason, Madhouse didn't want to continue it. So it's it's not a true season two, what we're seeing, because it is being handed off to like an entirely different team. Right. And it is, it's kind of considered a sequel to where the anime left off in the manga rather than a sequel to the first season of anime itself. Oh, that's awkward. Thankfully, this has not affected our view of the anime because we did not watch season one and will not be watching season one. <laughs> no, because that's old, old news now. It's 2008, baby. Got to keep up with the times. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Artland picks this up. They do so with a much lower production budget. Oh, no. Is This grates on people immediately. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is, is this something that stood out to you or that was bothering you while you were watching it? Well, let me pull out my notes from the first episode and uh, comment on the fact that... Uh, there are a series of still shots of characters instead of actually having animation. There was like two or three people like walking down the street, but it was just like a, like an image of them. Yes. And uh, then often what it'll do, it'll have the image and the image will be sliding across screen like it's a PowerPoint. Yeah. And the weird thing was like, because other anime have done this before that I know of, mm. but something that they do is you have more than one image of the person and this one did it as well, but you have more than like, you have like six or so of them, like key, almost keyframing the animation of them in the different positions as they're making their movements. And you move between each of those kind of images within, you know, one second, one second, one second. This one held on one, I think for 10 seconds straight, just uh, with noise the old, over the top. The old Neon Genesis trick. <laughs> But even worse, because they had the noise going over. Like at least in Neo Genesis, usually it's like they have a still image, and there's you, there's somebody in the background talking, or something else is happening. This was using sound effects from those people in the shot who aren't moving, implying they're moving, like having them like taking footsteps and say actually like making noises and going, <laughs> and it was just so unbelievably awkward. Mm. 
One thing I will say, um, the backgrounds were terrible. Yep. <laughs> pretty universally. But if I'm honest... <laughs> they were very rushed. If I'm honest, they were, in, to my mind at least, in a style, like a kind of painterly style, that I felt suited it. Like, we're in Italy. I'm thinking about, like, art. I don't, I, I'm terrible with art, so I couldn't tell you a very specific style of art. But it felt somewhat consistent throughout and that to me it was bad but <laughs> it didn't change a bunch it I, I could look at it and go yeah okay i know where yeah, i am consistent direction i kind of would have liked for them to chew on the scenery a bit more especially since what, one of the first arcs is in montalcino an italian town that is famous for being very pretty and for having like a bunch of castle walls and stuff there yeah but it's then like one of the most scenic places you could be yeah but then they've got to actually go in and paint or draw a bunch of bricks and that's just going to take too much time <laughs> yeah poor people working on this thing but so they look they they built this thing they must have known that it wasn't going to look very good um the the opening like the opening theme music one of the worst <laughs> openings i have ever experienced <laughs> so it's uh, first up it's again not really animated instead of uh doing scenes in the opening they are just showing you a bunch of still photography it's and not flashing e- from things yeah around. and it's 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 actual photos but they've been digitally altered to make it look like they've been painted awful filter whatever they used <laughs> it just sucks at some point there was a dog and i had to go back and rewind to double check was that actually a dog and it was a dog yeah, it was it was awful. The music was like passable, but didn't really, to me, reflect what was going to happen in the show. Mm. It's an opening for something. If we're going to have a drama, I want that kind of music that they had. That kind of uh, slightly melancholy, kind of sad stuff. Um, this is a show about young girls shooting the shit out of people. I want fun, <laughs> exciting music. I do not want someone kind of wailing sadly over a slideshow. I went to a funeral the other day, and that's what happened. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Honestly, to hear that. it was it was somewhat similar, and it was not a fun time. So they knew that they weren't going to be able to make this show look particularly good. So uh, they were like, "We are going to lean really hard into the storytelling here." Oh um, no! I told you to remember um, Uida's oh. name because yep. they brought him in. Onto no. the writing team, no, and he took over. No. <laughs> And he's like, we're going to do something that, you know, matches my source material and uh, lives up to my storytelling ambitions. And what you end up with is it more than anime storytelling. It feels like they're trying to emulate like a prestige drama. Yep, very much. Yes. Like, this guy has watched the first two seasons of The Wire. Yeah, okay. Yep. Yep. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, this is it. He's watched the first scene. The Sopranos was airing at this time. Okay. He's watched yeah. The Sopranos and gone, this is it. Yep. This is the kind of storytelling I want to do. <sighs> so, we are constantly uh, jumping between a ton of different characters. Yep. Um, all of whom are doing their uh, different different things and honestly i do need to remind everyone at home that again we haven't seen anything (laughs) of this before so we're just thrown in with all these characters and i'm honestly sitting here going is this a new character to the show or has this person been in here before okay that part might slightly be on us i don't know definitely definitely, (laughs) but that shows that they made absolutely no effort whatsoever to explain anything even briefly to give us kind of a background of like, oh yeah, this is like what the the organization does and this is the thing. Like, 
it does tell you that there were girls that were taken, um, who, who were sick or who were dying and were taken and turned into cyborgs. But, you know, it doesn't give you that bit of extra background of, you know, what process it was, why exactly they were taken, like what kind, what, what was the instigator for it? Um, they do eventually, but definitely not at the beginning. And yeah, they also don't really go through and explain who's who at all, other than to say, yeah, this, this little girl is with this old man and this little girl is with this old man. I just, yeah. Let's talk about those little girls and those old men. Because uh, the, the closest thing we have to a main character here is Henrietta. Right? Henrietta, yep. She's uh, she's like 12 or 13 or something like that. I'm, okay, we need to sort this out because honestly, I'm not sure. The clothes they wear, the the um, you watched the English version. Um, yes, I yep. did. I watched the English dub. Yep. Which I- was basically competent okay no no standouts but nothing that really detracted they they did go for like standard american accents for everyone <sighs> except for <laughs> olga the one russian agent who gets a russian accent <laughs> well we're in italy guys come on if they had gone for italian <laughs> accents for this entire show oh it would have been so good. i would have been in here hollering i would have been <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah like i honestly from my experiences with everything like living there and having like just with the anime that I have watched, which again is not a lot, but enough. Um, honestly, I want to say that the girls felt that they were eight, not even 10. The only different, the only one that I think stood out was the, um, the one in the suit with the blonde hair. Yeah. Triella. Triella. Yeah. Um, I like, I think that she could have been, you know, 11, 12, maybe. Um, but yeah, I honestly young and, I think Triella is one of the few who does have a uh, canonical age. There's, oops, spoilers for the manga. She dies at age 16. Okay. So, so she, she is she's 15 she, she, yeah, or she would 16, be 15, 16 around. Wow. Okay. Wow. Okay. I think it might just be I've been out of anime long enough that I've just kind of forgotten how young and how high-pitched and young they tend to make female characters' voices. My, my understanding is there was a bit of a character redesign between seasons one and two. Oh. And that they did come out younger looking and more moe. Right. Moe is the word After for the redesign. It, for sure. um, actually, that was a good chance to talk about uh, the fits in this. Honestly, the girls look pretty good. I like it. Really cute. Yeah. Like, pretty good outfits. Um, and there were a couple, like, every now and then somebody would change their outfit and they'd be like, oh, yeah, cool, we're doing something different for this episode. I hate any show where they've just got one character in one outfit all the time and never changes. Mm. It's just so boring. Whereas they changed it up a couple times. All the handlers, fucking suits, yeah. really? Same suit every time, damn right. <laughs> Same suit every single time. Granted, realistic, we're in Italy in the 90s, you know, mm. suits were a thing. Mm. But fucking dude, we're in... Italy, the home of fashion. Come on. <laughs> Actually, yeah, no, I, I didn't think about this, but you're right. Like this is uh, coming out at the same time as like JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. <laughs> right? <laughs> now that's a man who does Italy with stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so yeah, Hen- Henrietta is kind of our main girl. She's, she's a bit shy. She's like very attached to her handler. Yep. Uh, the handlers are the older brother figures that each of these girls are given. You say a bit attached? Honestly, I'm She's very... Got those Yandere vibes, yeah. Mm, no, <laughs> I wouldn't quite, say Yandere quite. vibes, but definitely far too attached. Like, it's implied that it's meant to be like a younger sister, older brother thing. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's got that really awkward Japanese thing of um, 
the the um what's the word for it uh the incest siscon brocon the incest yeah. vibes yeah, yeah it's yeah. it's really she, she's, she is she is a brocon yeah yeah and it's oof, like again to me like an eight-year-old falling in love with a 45-year-old dude oh yikes <laughs> the, the, the agents are supposed to be like in their 30s i think fuck off <laughs> no way <laughs> Um, so yeah, you've got you know, Jose and Henrietta are the main pair. Yep. They, they are they are contrasted off uh, Jean and Rico. Rico is the other main girl who was around Henrietta's age, and she's uh, the more of a tomboy. Yep. Um, uh, Jean pretty much treats her like a weapon. <laughs> yeah, he does. Very awkward. <laughs> Very awkward. Although I'm going to say right now, mm. Jose is not a, not any better. No. 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 There's a point towards the end of the series when he was talking with a scientist doctor person i'm not sure and he was talking about the fact that like he was actively trying to stay distant and be an asshole and i'm like dude she's a girl she's a young kid don't fucking do that just oh awful people yes the the agency has a lot of faults the first fault would be uh making this trade in the first place where they're like oh we we will like give you cybernetic limbs and help like they're, they're basically trading medical services for Going into the middle of gunfights with terrorists. Yeah. And not only that, um, I'm pretty sure at the beginning, at the very beginning, they mentioned that, like, they effectively brainwash them and uh, condition them to, like, be able to just deal with dead bodies and blood and everything like that. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Uh, th- this is this is a thing they explore uh, mostly through the, the couple here, Angelica and Marco. Um, and yes. Angelica is the the girl who she she was the the first of the gunslinger girls to be cyborgized. I didn't know that. Hey, yeah, I think I, I did read the manga up to the point where we watched it, so I do have some background information here. Right. Okay. Cheetah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, she she was the first of them. They didn't do such a crash hot job of uh, like they didn't know what they were doing, yeah. and so she's the least mentally stable of the group because she's having the most side effects and right. needs needs to be the most heavily medicated. She has a few episodes where she like almost you know rips that woman's arm off. Yeah, that was that was quite an interesting moment. Um, I think honestly pretty well done. Mm. Like I I was sitting watching and going actually yeah this is just kind of, like kind of scary and like I know what's happening I'm not lost yeah yeah and then you have uh, Triella. Triella is like she's much older than the other girls. Like I say, she's mid teenage years. Um, she's working with the handler Victor Hillshire. Wow, what a name! <laughs> Actually, one thing I will say is I do love that they've given everyone Italian names. It like especially watching it in the Japanese dub, it made the pronunciation uh, honestly the, the Japanese dub. All of the pronunciation was pretty much flawless. Usually when you're doing something like this and you've got like Japanese people, you, you've got um, trying to put foreign loan words into and names of places into the Japanese phonemic inventory, it gets really muddled up because you have to add a bunch of extra vowels and make everything syllabalized. Um, but honestly, everything was pretty well pronounced. It was quite phenomenal. Yeah, that's uh, impressive. <laughs> I should also add to everyone, I, I am a linguist by trade. So, like, this is my, like, I, I studied this stuff and I, 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 as a hobby, just tend to read up on this stuff. So, yeah, it was pretty well done. Cool. That is good. I know uh, there are quite a few anime studios that tend to not really pay much attention to that kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, they were putting in the work there. Um, so, yeah, there's a couple of other girls around. Um, Bernice is the one who just shows up whenever her ability is required. 
but for, for some reason she she has sniffer dog powers. Oh yeah, she was a sniffer dog. That was <laughs> yeah, very interesting. She, like, she I, I will say her and her handler had I think the best relationship. Like it just seemed like two partners, not like this awkward, weird like relationship between the two. It was just he was out there, he was kind of in charge, and she was like, "Yeah, cool, I'll do the thing. What's up?" What do you need me to do? I'll yeah, go over there. The okay. Norm. I don't. I, I would have put them on the A team personally. Like absolutely, especially since the entire thing is about tracking down terrorists who are like bomb makers and yeah. bomb pledges by trade. Yeah. Also, <laughs> also, that handler had the most personality of all of the handlers. The rest of them are all just like, oh, I'm a, I'm a broody forty five year old dude. The other one was, oh, I'm a really broody forty five year old dude, but I'm blonde. Like. There was almost no. The only one that had slightly more was the guy with the glasses. Um, uh, but, Marco, who's the the ex cop. Yeah, but but even then, even then, he was still. I like that he had a whole episode about how he just kind of sucks. <laughs> that was fun. I did. Yeah, there's yeah. There's, there's like a uh, this this guy posing as a detective finds his ex girlfriend, and she just starts being like, "Yeah, he kind of sucked." <laughs> Yeah, it was pretty good. Um, I actually, in that episode, I did start. I believe the guy was called Leon. Um, I did immediately uh, jump onto Leon's side, and I am a Leon stand because <laughs> this shit is fucked. You know, this is not normal. This is not good. We've got children who we have effectively pulled out of the brink of death, brainwashed them, and then said, "Awesome, you are now a weapon. Nothing more. You do not have free will. Let's go kill some stuff." That's yeah. fucked he's, up. He's, he's the only one in the show brave enough to take a stance that maybe we shouldn't be doing this. Yeah. And then he gets arrested by the people doing the bad stuff. And I'm meant to be rooting for those people who are arresting this guy who's the only sane person recognizing the morals of this are fucked. <laughs> well, uh, speaking about different teams to root for, um, let's talk about the antagonists, which get a lot of their own time here. <laughs> So much of their own time. That's what, like, I think that's really where the wire thing comes in. Like, we spend so much time going from this people. And then also, we've, we've got to see what they're doing. What are they doing today? They're just chilling out on a farm. Nothing more. <laughs> but you know what? We've got to see what they're doing today. Yes. Uh, well, yeah, we introduced this, uh, like, cool assassin character. And then he does spend half of his airtime hanging out on a farm, <laughs> doing some chores around the place, uh, playing the one song that he knows on the piano yep. over and over. Yep. <laughs> thinking about is his adopted dad who doesn't love him oh but it turns out he does at the end he does love him he's mm. just really bad at showing it apparently that means he doesn't love you dude just oh yeah speaking about your parents not loving you the character we are talking about is named pinocchio <laughs> <laughs> which, which to the show's credit uh, several people turn to him and they go why are you named pinocchio that's a stupid name yeah yeah Except for the little girl who was just like, oh, yeah, that's Pino, whatever. Yeah. I'm like, Pino, what's... Pino. Just- <laughs> yeah. Oh. She was she was super high-pitched in the dub. She, yeah, she wasn't the Japanese dub as well. It was... <laughs> oof. Um, yeah, I... I it was int- it was definitely an int- a bold choice to uh, have us spend so much time with our antagonists and mm. try to get us to like actually you know understand them um, because um, if I'm honest we haven't gotten them yet but our other two antagonists I'm all with them like mm-hmm. power couple fantastic I love it Pinocchio is a child murderer <laughs> I'm not getting on his side no matter how much you want to try and go oh look he's he's a nice guy he just doesn't know what's happening and look he, if he when he's finally got a purpose in the farm he feels really good and I'm like this motherfucker needs to be in jail, not out here on the farm having a good time. He's killed more than one kid. 
And I don't mean cyborg robot kid. I mean normal kid. Oh, yeah. He was going to straight up murk that little girl. <laughs> yeah. I just... Oh, oh, I actually really want to know more about... Uh, what's his name? The guy who made it. You <laughs> hmm? uh, Ida. You Ida. I really want to know more about him because... Man, is this is this just something that he dreamed up, or is this uh, a reflection of this, his actual politics? No, this, this man went on like a Wikipedia binge because oh, so the antagonists in this they are assassins and contracted mercenaries working for the Five Republic factions, right? Um, who are pushing for uh, Padanian independence. Um, this this is an actual thing from mid nineties um, politics. I didn't know that. Again, I had gone into this assuming we're in alternate history Italy and yeah. all this stuff is just being made up. Wow, this no, is actually... They, 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 were not, they were not terrorists, but there, there were a lot of Northerners at the time who were trying to build the case for uh, secession from Italy. Right. So, they, what they're doing here is they're mixing it with uh, the years of lead Italy, which is going through the uh, like 1970s Italy. Where you've got a lot of uh, sectarian um, political violence, like you've got uh, the neo-fascists that are still um, very influenced by Mussolini, who are doing like public bombings in like uh, uh, plazas and train stations, right? And uh, you've got a lot of um, uh, far-left violence happening as well from uh, the communist brigades, right? Who are uh, kidnapping and assassinating, you know, judges, politicians. And uh, at, at sort of the culmination of the years of lead, the Prime Minister of Italy. Wow. Whoa. Was kidnapped and murdered. Okay. All right. I've got some research to do when I go home because mm-hmm. honestly, that sounds so much more interesting than whatever the fuck we got served here. <laughs> so, so they are, they are mixing it. Like, uh, you know, uh, Italy had the highest terrorism rate of anywhere in the developed world oh during God. this period in time. Okay. Yikes. And uh, they, they are kind of carrying that through into, you know, Padanians weren't doing terrorism per se, but they, they were a group that was, you know, very kind of, like, they do explain the reasoning in the show. The, there's this big wealth disparity between North and South Italy. Yes. Which continues to be a thing. Yep. Northern Italy's like, uh, economically on par with, like, Germany and France, mm-hmm. whereas the South is, like, closer to Greece and Northern Africa. Yep. Okay. And any time that there's going to be a major... Uh, construction work like the the Messina Bridge, yes, that we are talking about. Yep, uh, the the North gets really upset that their money is being spent on the the you know being drained out of the North and into the South. Yes, and that is the overarching plot of the terrorists in this particular show. They yep. are going to build a bridge over the Strait of Messina, and their job is to go and explode the bridge before it can be built. <laughs> and yeah, you know what, like. I don't, I don't want to say I'm rooting for them, but like, you know, like they have a clear goal. They have a clear intent. They want to get this thing done. So I can, even if I don't agree with it, I can root for their like, yeah, cool. We got to get this thing done. Um, having said that. I, I'll, I'll, I'll hold you up here. Do you feel like any of the three characters do want to get this done? So <laughs> this d- is, this is a continuing theme in, uh, I would say the entire show is that uh, rather than being driven by uh, like overarching political goals, a lot of the people that are getting caught up in all of this are people who have, like, a personal vengeance. Yes. Um, and I would say that at the very beginning, when the um, the when the when couple were first introduced, I feel like the woman kind of gave a, gave a pretty good case or indication that, like, yeah, she was doing this for the cause. Mm. Um, but then it very quickly just turned into her just 
doing it because she had to and because she felt like it and to get to continue to get revenge. Oh, she's, she's, yeah, she's got some family stuff going on yeah. that is uh, fueling her. Yeah, so don't, don't get me wrong. By the end, I'm like, oh, let's just all fucking go home. It's just not worth <laughs> it. Um, but at the beginning, I was like, yeah, cool. Like, this makes sense. Um, yeah, but also, like, as I said, power couple. These two work amazingly together. Yeah, Fran- oh, Franco and Flanco. Yeah. Uh, Flanco is her uh, name that she's taken, Katerina. Yes. She later establishes herself as, but yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, just really just a, a good pair of character dynamic like it really worked quite well and the ending was just so confusing with them i don't even know if anyone's still alive anymore <laughs> it was just so weird they get in the car and drive off two of them are shot but like they don't get caught but like they're both dying obviously the resolution of the show is awful it's just nothing <laughs> It's interesting. I was I was uh, going and reading a lot of um, sort of community reviews and reactions from this. Okay. Um, and sort of a lot of people you know, felt the first four episodes or so were crap, but people were kind of warming on this show towards the end of it. Fuck off. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. okay. Well, I'm going to get into There was one episode that I actually really enjoyed. In the middle, we get a completely unrelated episode based on the other girl who doesn't have a handle that we haven't uh, heard about before. Place. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Kleiss, yeah. Whatever, she's got long black hair. Yeah. Um, in this episode, it's basically just following her daily life around the complex um, and she's having some kind of medical issues. Mm. Um, and I, I was at least implied that she was taken off of active duty for some reason. And honestly, I spent the whole time going, what the fuck did you do? I want to know. Like, I was genuinely intrigued in one of the next episodes to go into the backstory of why she is no longer allowed to go on active duty. Like, I was generally pulled in. Part of the reason for that was one of the um, the motifs of the episode was that uh, sh- she was reading, she does a lot of reading, things like that, and she mentioned the song, uh, uh, what's it called? Oh, Scarborough Fair. Yes, yeah, yeah. she does uh, sing Scarborough Fair. And, and yeah. In the episode, they have three different renditions of the song. And I just, like, clearly some episode, some, some effort was put into this episode. Like, it's well-paced. It's got an interesting, like, thing going on. It's not action-heavy. But you know what? If they'd fucked off the action and leaned into this character drama and these kinds of things, I think it would have been more interesting. And I was engaged with this. And then we went immediately back to following these awful terrorists who don't really know what they're doing and don't have much of a drive anymore. And these... <sighs> very cute weapons of war. <laughs> yes, um, I can. I can tell you what the deal is with Clace. And, okay. Um, uh, her handler actually dies oh. in season one. He's he's killed in active duty, and um, they a thing that gets established about their conditioning is, as you may have noticed, it gets them super attached to their handler. Right. So she's paired to him and can't really get with anyone else. Yeah. Yeah. They're like like she simply cannot work with anyone else. Right. And so they go, all right, well, what we're going to do is we're going to keep her here and she's just going to be like our medical spare parts. Yeah, she's going to be our test dummy. <laughs> yeah. A guinea a, pig. She's a guinea pig for bits that we're going to put on the rest of the girls. <sighs> this is just so depressing. Yeah, and she's kind of just like stuck at home the entire time and like is like her, her value to the people around her is in just being a passive body yeah. that they can do things to. Yep. Rather than anything she can do of her own effort, which is it's like she's a really smart 
kid. She's really smart. She's yeah. amazingly well read. Yeah. Um, she also she's also our source of any time we we like talk about like a an Italian play or something like that. She is our our source of oh. our atlas to be like, oh yeah, this is that thing you oh, haven't heard do. about this play. Uh, oh you, well, you heard about the entire plot of Tosca. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I also love the fact that uh, she decides to get in to do a bit of gardening. Mm. And her idea of gardening is to get a pot plant and <laughs> bury it in the garden with the pot still in it. <laughs> like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> um, I did find myself coming back to the Tosca thing again and again because I was trying to work out what thematically they were trying to say with this. So they like they they have to go do some assassinations at the opera, and the opera that's playing is Tosca, uh, which is um, it does detail the plot of it. But um, uh, the the story of Tosca is this: this guy gets uh, caught by the authorities hiding a political prisoner in his house, and um, the the guy's wife is like trying to get him free. Um, it's like unsuccessful. The guy's being tortured. Has been you know they're going to murder him by firing squad. And uh, the the officer who's holding him says, you know, if if you uh, give your body to me, <laughs> I will release your husband and we'll do a fake firing squad and we'll pretend he's dead. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, like she she pretends to go along with this and they, they have this, they're, they're quoting the song that she sings, which is like, oh God, why do I have to do all these things? I've been such a good person. Why has this horrible shit happened to me? And in the very next scene, she she goes in, she gets the guy to like write up a, a signed note explaining all of this. Yep. And then she stabs him to death. <laughs> hey. And then her her husband goes out to the fake firing squad, but it turns out there were real bullets the whole time. No. And he dies, and then she throws herself off a balcony and everyone dies at the end of it. Hey, cool. Classic <laughs> Italian play. Very nice. <laughs> And the the taxi driver there talking to him in this episode implies kind of that his takeaway from the opera is that uh, Italians are inherently violent and vengeant. Mm, mm. Very fun. Um, <laughs> yeah, just a bit, just a bit of politics coming out there. <laughs> I will say though, fits in that episode when the young girls go actually mm. go to the go to the theater and actually kill whoever they're meant to be killing. Mm. Beautiful dresses, mm. fantastic. We don't see them again, but mm. ooh, they look good. <laughs> yeah, they get they get all these little outfits, and then they come home, and um, I think it's uh, Angelica's like, "Oh, how was the, how was the play?" And they go, "Oh, we didn't see any of it. We were busy snapping people's necks." <laughs> <laughs> I honestly nothing other than like the fits and that particular episode. Nothing really stuck out as being like. Good. Actually, no, one thing that was good was the detail on the guns. Like, all of the guns looked properly animated and researched enough that oh, they, like, the, yeah, this got a good by- variety. There was a P90, which was like, oh, I love to see a good P90 <laughs> in anything. Um, unfortunately, they didn't reload it, which is, like, the whole point of, like, including a P90 is to have the really cool, weird, weird reload from the top thing with the helical whatever. But, um, yeah, like, it was... Like, the guns were well incorporated, I thought. Mm, sadly, I did find a long post from someone online who was complaining about the Foley work for the guns. Oh, okay, and sure. None, and how none of the firing sounded corrected. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and sure. Like, That's now how the trigger sounds on a P90. <laughs> 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 it's fucking amateur. So, so. <laughs> uh, we should discuss the general tone of it. This is, this is an R-rated anime. Is it? Yeah. Really? Oh yeah, fucking dark shit is happening. You know, we are we are tackling topics like uh, 
uh, sexual violence and child trafficking and torture. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. We, we just don't really see much of it. It's... I, it's a show that, like, it does... Also, oh my god, speaking of the child trafficking, we've got a character whose background is he went into the um, Interpol, whatever the organisation is, yeah. to, specifically to fight child trafficking. And then, after his experiences, decides, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to join an organisation that takes young girls, turns them into cyborgs, and then fights with them. <laughs> ah, yes, this is a perfectly moral thing to do with children. I am miles much more better and morally and ethically situated than those idiots who are just stealing children for sexual pleasure. What the fuck? Victor Hillshire is a fucking loose cannon. <laughs> Because the the yeah the the arc of this episode is he he joins Interpol and he's like I want to fight child traffickers and the boss is like you're not ready to fight child traffickers and he says I've got a DVD of a snuff film take it home and watch it. <laughs> Why does the police chief just have that in his desk? Uh, you're not allowed to do that, but uh, he he does. He goes home and watches it and goes, wow, this is really dark. And uh, uh, he he like starts dating one of the the women who works in the morgue. Yeah. <laughs> And and he, he's like, I've got a lead on these child traffickers. Do you want to come with me, lady from the morgue? And she's all for it for some yeah, reason. And, and he does. And um, it, like she gets shot and she dies during this. And he gets fired from Interpol because why did you take the doctor with you? And so, but so he leaves. But he he did find this this one girl who he rescued from there. Um, I don't. Again, I don't understand why he would have been allowed to take that girl with him. <laughs> Yeah, I honestly, when I was watching it, I didn't get a good look at the girl. Like, it was a dark scene and whatnot. And so yeah. I was like, oh, that looks like vaguely like his. Um, it is, it is Triella, yes. And it is. And I just, what the fuck? <laughs> it's just such a strange, like, again, we have high concept. This is interesting. We mm. could go deep on, like, how this is necessary, like it might be necessary, but ultimately it's fucked up. But really all they do is they go, this is necessary. And then never <laughs> at any point address that this is fucked up. Yeah, it would be so easy to like frame this as like the devil's bargain. Like, you know, yeah. these were the only people who could save her life and yep. uh, bring her back. But uh- <laughs> and at one point they had to, at one point they had to kind of like justify that the program was working to the higher ups of their organization by having a young girl give a, a very short violin recital. I was thinking, okay, so what are we trying to show here? That our recovery process works? Okay. Are we also going to include the fact that she shoots people every day and that she trains regularly for that and that she's been brainwashed? No. We're just going to move past that. Just going to go, oh, look, young girl giving a violin recital. Very nice. No. Uh, it's just, yeah, like the tone is, honestly, this was quite a lifeless show overall. For a show that is about cyborgs doing, like, action gunfights and fighting terrorists, uh, the energy is quite low a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah. And and it's just when there are moments that you think should have righteous indignation or real passion behind it, you've just got somebody kind of forlornly staring out a window or staring at a thing in their hands. When I really should have somebody giving, like, a rousing speech or getting mad and throwing a chair over the fact that this thing has happened. But it's it's really leaning into that kind of Italian, uh, like the um, the wire and things like that. They're mm. like, oh, all of our characters are going to be cool, calm and collected. When they hear bad news, they're going to go, hmm, and furrow their brow instead of actually reacting like any normal human would. 
or even playing to the strengths of anime and sort of uh, accentuating all of those reactions. <laughs> yeah. Um, we haven't talked about Triella's uh, um, relationship with Pinocchio and the fact that um, he co- couldn't bring himself to kill her, despite the fact that he killed a young girl at the beginning of his life. Just, I don't understand how that came about. Yeah, there is um, there is a rivalry that is established um, uh, between Triella and Pinocchio. Yeah. They identify it. He's like, he can hold her off in hand-to-hand combat, even though she's a super strong cyborg. She has like an existential crisis about this. Yeah. And then the final episode is framed as, oh, that this is Triella and Pinocchio's final showdown. And at the end, she feels empty. And I was like, okay, interesting choice. But like, what are we going to do with that? They didn't really resolve that in the end. Like, she wins, but, you know, there wasn't triumph. There wasn't, like, horror at realizing the kind of person she's become. It was just kind of, huh, I won. And, like, I I could see how that could be interesting, but it just wasn't. Yeah, I didn't quite land. I'd say my favorite part of that episode by far was when the – Pinocchio's adopted dad is like uh, escaping the place and he goes out to go to his limousine and uh, Rico is down there and has smashed the limousine driver's head through the window of the car. Yep. (laughs) And it is the most violent thing you have seen up to that point. (laughs) It is. But the worst part is that the framing, the, the, the color filtering, none of it actually makes it seem frightening or... Uh, like awful it's which, just it just feels like this is normal which which kind of made me go like are they still trying to play rico as the hero here yeah <laughs> I, that's that's probably my biggest issue with this is that again with this with this um idea you could take it as you said as the devil's bargain like we're, we 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 feel like we're doing the right thing we've got to do this awful thing to get to it but instead it is Almost entirely, except for that one episode where we find out the ex-cop dude is just an asshole, and the, yeah, and, yeah. and Leon is correct, um, that, like, for the rest of the series, it's just the girls are the good guys, and so are their handlers, and any terrorists they're fighting, doesn't matter who they are, they're the bad guys. That's not, that's, no, the, the morals and the ethics of this is awful. And this was a, a takeaway I found a lot of people I was reading through reactions from as well. Thank they were, God. They were like, I, I did find myself rooting for Pinocchio and the couple. Oh, okay, never mind. That's not what I want. <laughs> I, I was worried that you were going to say that everyone online was like, yeah, cool, go girls, when that is really not what we need to be thinking. But mm. I, yeah, okay, I guess that's better. Mm. Like, like no, you can't really root for anybody in this. Other than the power couple. And I'm not even talking about what they're doing. Just like fun power couple. Good job, guys. And that's tough. Because I'm sure if, if, if you voice these concerns to the, the creator, he'd be like, that's the point. It's a world of moral gray. And but there wasn't no any gray. No right and wrong. The know? way you create moral gray for plebs like me is to put a gray color filter over the awful stuff. So <laughs> that I'm like, oh my God, what's happening? This feels awful. Instead, everything was lit totally normally. Like a regular drama anime. Yeah. Art direction was sorely lacking music direction was sorely lacking oh man the, the two songs i just got fucking sick of by the that end fucking piano song <laughs> yeah. oh my god but like they've they've got the the one uh you know the action sequence song they play is like really <laughs> shitty put together midi files yep yep Yep. Doesn't it- sound good. And then and then whenever they have to do a sad scene, they do that really overbearing piano or like the <sighs> music box version of it. Yeah, that was just 
grating. Um, yeah, as I said, the only good music in this was those Scarborough Fair renditions, which were like distinct from each other. So you'd be like, oh, that's that's a different way to say that. Oh, that's a different way to do that. I will stand up. I, I did like this is kind of the main Gunslinger Girl theme, which I don't feel like they used enough. They had a song in there that had like mandolin in it. Oh, actually, yes. That one was yes. quite good. Yes. It, they really wanted to make that properly like Italian sounding and yeah. uh, like Mediterranean. Yeah. The only re- re- like the only t- really real reason I knew I was in Italy at most of the time was there was just a bunch of like stone brickwork, mm. poorly poorly like painted, but you know it was there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and the fact that all of the places just had Italian names, mm. like there was nothing else. There should it should have been in the music. So it's sort of lacking in cultural identity, which yes, I mean you know, I. Japanese education system is not the best in the world, and I'm sure. Oh, that- but he knows all of this stuff about fucking independence movements from the mid nineties. Yeah, but that's the thing. He knows about all of these things, but he doesn't understand that. You know, what's a good Italian dish that they could have been eating? Like just some general basic cultural things that you could have included. History is somewhat well taught in Japan. I wouldn't say I shouldn't say well taught. Maybe. Um, is covered in quite depth, quite a lot of depth, um, but like cultural stuff is not really covered too heavily in my experience. Um, granted, I went to a relatively poor school, so that could um, <laughs> that could <laughs> be the reason for that. But uh, yeah, a bit of lacking cultural knowledge kind of brings the quality of everything down again. And to cap this off, we did both watch the OVAs for this, of which there were two. Um, Rico's big Venice adventure. <laughs> Which that was fun. If you had missed any of the Five Republic factions stuff, um, uh, Jean sits down with Rico in the car and is like, "So, as you know, Rico, <laughs> this this, uh, this this is what the terrorists believe." And Rico's like, "Ha!" Huh. Honestly, I just stopped listening at that point. So I, that's that's why we came in here and I still didn't fully understand what was happening because I just kind of went like, "Just shut the fuck up. You're an idiot. I don't like you." Yeah, and and the other OVA they decide to slide in there is like. Uh, uh, Jose and Jean both had this younger sister who died in a terrorist attack. And now now that they are both working with young girls as a career, they're both a bit weird about it with each other. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to I've got a note written here. Um Jean is clearly mentally unstable. Despite this, he is working for the government. <laughs> this this man uh bluffed his way through the psych evaluation. For sure. <laughs> yeah, he's he's visited by the ghost of his younger sister, who tells him to accuse uh, his brother of using Henrietta as a replacement for her. Mm-hmm. He is. Yeah. I'm on her side. <laughs> I, I've got okay. another note somewhere in here that just mentions the fact that these men are awful because they are basically just making their own young girls in exact, and ex- to be exactly the kind of young girl that they want. Mm. That's fucked up. Yeah, it um it oh, it is briefly mentioned once, but it's mentioned a couple other times in the the, the manga that uh, they choose all of the outfits for the girls. Oh no! And that like uh, oh no! <laughs> there's like a point later on where like uh like uh, Rico and Triella both stop dressing uh, sort of like tomboys because they were getting the instruction. Oh no, you need like Triella's Triella. You have to wear a suit. That was a weird outfit, honestly. Of all the outfits, that one was the one that made, weirded me out the most. I'm not sure why. It was just like, I don't know, she's an awkward height and the fit just seemed a bit off. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, one thing I will say about the OVAs, um, a positive thing, is that 
in the first one, there was actually a really good like nightmare stress dream sequence that uh, that Rico had, mm. where she dreamed that um, she, she dreamed that she was becoming useless. Effectively, so she was worried about that, mm. and she dreamed that um, she was missing both her arms and a leg, but her handler just came in and went, "Hurry up, let's go." And she went, but like I can't like do anything. And she couldn't move. And like, not amazing, but like cool idea, interesting, and well executed. Yeah, like, yeah. And uh, the 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 context for that is that um, you know, all of the other girls um, had to be rebuilt as cyborgs after like an accident or something horrible happened to them. Um, uh, Rico was the only one who uh, that was a birth defect for her. Oh my god! She was she was born with non. Oh. Uh, it's a quadriplegic with oh non functioning limbs. What the fuck, this show. <laughs> Sorry. And you can see it weighing on her mind the entire time where, like, you know, she's got this emotional attachment to her handler, but her handler only really likes her for her physical capacities. <sighs> this is tragic. <laughs> Which, if she didn't have, she knew that, like, the only person that cares about her, like, would drop her in a heartbeat. Jesus. That, oof. All right. That's some good context. I'm glad I got that. I actually feel a bit better about the show now. Like that's a nice that's a nice little thing. It's not nice. It's a <laughs> it's an effective like bit of storytelling. Okay. It's 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 a show that says okay if you know um, girls uh, being uh, disabled and having to go through a lot of medical care is going to be a main thing of the show. We probably should say something about ableism and <laughs> yeah their experience around that. Yeah. Okay. So. Recommend it, yes or no? <laughs> I it was a miss. I'm afraid we, we have we've we've started off. I feel like there will be worse stuff, but there will be a lot of better stuff. There will be more crass stuff. I feel like this was just really just a failure of execution, all told. Which I think is probably a pretty good way to start. We've got somewhere to go. Yeah, it's 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 got ambition. It's got storytelling ambition. Oh, for sure. Like, please, if you're ever bored, go and take this concept. And do something more interesting with it. Please, whatever you do will be miles better than what we've got here. Yeah. Granted, I haven't seen the first season. Maybe that does it better. But, like, whatever we're, you do is going to be... the first season. I'm sure it's great. I'm not going to watch it. Whatever you do will be better than the second season of this fucking show. Thank you for listening to Endless 08. I've been Duffo. And I've been BJ. You can find all our stuff at endless08.com and on our social media. If you know a real freak, tell them about the show. We'll see you next time. <laughs>